0: good afternoon everybody i hope it's afternoon or evening or whatever it is wherever you're at it doesn't really matter i suppose it's afternoon here so we have another session podcast session here for the next 20 or 30 minutes and uh, i'm going to go back and review the last article that uh that we wrote and put in the ip magazine i think it was in the september issue had to come out early because of the iq show i believe but uh We're gonna go back, first and foremost, I wanna share with you, uh, and I pray that everybody's well. I don't know in this day and time with the way things are in this world, uh, nothing is for sure anymore. I know we were rocking along really well, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, my son-in-law got COVID and brought it home, gave it to my daughter and the three-year-old and 10-year-old, and they came to live with us and they gave it to us. so i we vicky and i have had a, a terrible time for the last uh, probably two to three weeks uh we uh i started out with covid correlated pneumonia which kind of scared the hound out of me when you do that your 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 blood oxygen level gets very low oxygen saturation and it was low and uh, i was doing breathing treatments and doing a bunch of things and Uh, taking a drugstore full of antibiotics and fighting my way through it. And about the time I got over the COVID correlated pneumonia and I I was tested three times uh, for COVID during that stretch and none of them turned out positive. It was negative every time. And I asked the question, how do you get COVID correlated pneumonia when you don't have COVID? He said, just stand by. And sure enough, the fourth test when I was just about over the pneumonia uh, turn positive and Vicky did too. So <laughs> that was uh last, uh, let's see, that was last Monday, Tuesday, uh, a week ago today. And Thursday, the next Thursday, last Thursday, we, we were able to take the, uh, the, uh, IV injection for the, uh, immune, uh, the infusion. And I'm going to tell you something. If, if, you know anybody that's got COVID and having a tough time, and they can get the infusion within 10 days, you need to go do it. Because that was a turnaround for Vicki and I both. We both felt amazing by Saturday. And by Sunday afternoon, you know, we were, you know, I felt virtually okay. And Monday I was working in the yard. So um, we'll be going back to the doctor this Thursday for a follow-up. and. My keeping out of the out of the public and all, you know, it'll be over Friday, I think. And maybe I can get on with my life because I have to I have things to do and places to go next week and the next week and the next week. And so I had to, of course, cancel a bunch of stuff. But I pray that everybody's doing well. Uh, Take your vitamins, you know, try to keep it from getting it. And if you do get it, just go with the infusion because that's what got us well. Today I want <clears throat> to speak technical on a technical term about, uh, protection from induced voltages uh, in grounding system. Grounding, I think was the second to last article I wrote and Jim Vaughn and I kind of tag team back and forth on principles of grounding system, grounding, grounding practices, all those things that, you know, that, uh, gets gets people confused. I think for the most part, uh, grounding, Uh, get system grounding and protection for the employees uh de-energizing paragraph m and then paragraph n those are the two of the most popular if not the most popular subjects that i'm asked to present and then distribution cover-up and then contractor management a bunch of other things we do but system grounding just seems to take the spotlight and i can understand why uh if you've heard me speak in the past you've heard me say that when I first started to work with Georgia power back in 1967, which was a very long time ago, uh, they told me a lot of things and, uh, you know, explaining induced voltages on a de-energized line parallel to an energized line, you know, in a quarter, uh, it was one of those things that they said, well, that's static. You got to bleed that static off. Well, guess what guys, ladies, uh, you can't do that uh if you have induced voltage it's a you know it's it's a capacitive coupling from an energized to a de-energized line okay in a quarter or even a crossing for that matter but if it's in a quarter it's going to be a lot more and and there's three factors that basically will determine the amount of induced voltages on there the proximity to of the de-energized line to the energized line and then the length of exposure in other words if it goes down down the corridor about four spans and it leaves and goes somewhere else that's one thing and if it goes 50 miles parallel to a energized line when it's de-energized and isolated and insulated and not grounded uh that will that's the second factor the third factor is is the voltage of the energized line the higher the voltage on the energized line you know the greater the Capacitive coupling is the greater transfer it is and the induced voltage is there. We'll we'll just it will build up inside that Magnetic field and it will sit there until one of two things could possibly happen one you ground it Okay, give it a path to ground and then magically the voltage will collapse and then when you put an amp meter on your grounds, you'll see uh, Amperes flowing on the ground. So we've taken the voltage and through physics turned it into fault current. Okay. Now, obviously if you get in series with that, that can be deadly and it doesn't take much. Now we know it only takes 50 volts to get in the body. Okay. And once it gets in the body, it only takes about 30 to 50 milliamps to kill us if it goes across our heart. You know, and therein lies another one of our misnomers that they told me a long time ago grounding will, you know, grounding is saves people. Uh, it's not dead until it's grounded. Well, you know, I hate to tell you this and you may disagree with me and that's okay. Uh, Neither one of those are exactly true. Okay. Uh, It can, if, if you've got uh, induced voltages on a circuit and you put a ground on it, it's not dead. It's not de-energized. And remember, D E A D dead is never found anywhere in a performance standard. It's either, it's either considered energized or de-energized. Okay. And the only way it can be considered de-energized is if it has system grounds on it. But if you check those grounds and you have, you know, current flowing on the grounds, well, it's far from being dead. And it certainly can't be considered de-energized. Uh, I know I lived many years bracket grounding when I was a lineman and you know, didn't I did what everybody told me to do. I did the what, and I never knew the why behind the what. And that's what I've been trying to do for years and years is to help people understand the why. And it's a matter of science and it's a matter of physics. It's basically Ohm's law and Kirchhoff's law of current division. That's what determines it. So when we, when we look at it, you know, whether it's a distribution line parallel to a transmission line or a transmission line in a quarter, I've seen as much as a hundred thousand volts on a, on a, 500 line parallel to another 500 line. It was about 75 miles in length. Okay. Uh, check the voltage, um, check the uh, check. The, we took in another one of my customers was working up north and they called me one day and said, well, we need to, right after the new standard came out, it says we must make a, you know, must make a, a, a determination, of the amount of induced voltage that may be on a de-energized line before we put grounds on it. And that's in, you know, that's in paragraph N, and they called <laughs> in paragraph M, de it. and they called and said, well, how do we do that? And I said, well, get you, a, you know, I told them, I said, you, you got a, you got a phasing tool? An analog phasing tool to me is the best thing in the world, that's a meter, And get an analog 115 KV analog phasing tool, go from the static wire to the conductor nearest on the de-energized line nearest to the energized. And of course they had 6,500 volts to it. And I said, well, you know, there it is. And they said, well, and it's steady. It just sits there. It doesn't move. It's a constant voltage and the source of that voltage is the energized line through a capacitive coupling. And I told myself, well, just go on with it. Don't don't tease it because it's gonna bark at you a little bit. It's gonna buzz and fuss at you a little bit when you go on. And if you miss it, you're gonna draw a little arc. And that's another misnomer. Back in the day, I was told, well, if you don't see an arc on something when you go to ground it, there wasn't enough static on there to be harmful to you. And I said, No, 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 no. Not <laughs> by today's standards. If 50 volts is all I need, you know, to break the natural resistance of my skin on my hands. Uh, then it's, you know, to draw an arc with a ground, you probably need somewhere around 1800 to 2000 volts. And you'll see a little spark when you put the ground on the de-energized line from the first, you know, the first time. And of course, now think about it. The further you get away from the energized line, the magnetic field is less to the middle phase and to the far side phase. And it is to the phase conductor nearest the energized line. So you'll get less and less as you go across. But just because you don't see an arc, doesn't mean there's enough, not enough voltage there to be harmful. Because if you get in series with it, and I mean, it could be, it could be you know, 115 line. We had a fatality case where I worked years ago, young apprentice took off the wrong ground. Uh, he took off an equipment ground thing, a, a phase ground, thinking it was an equipment ground. And when he did, as soon as that ground clamp cleared that cluster band on that trans, 115 KV transmission line, and it was parallel to another 115 KV line, as soon as he cleared that, clamp, uh, that, that uh, um, bar coming off of that you know, pole band, it, just as soon as he, it killed him, he was dead. He was 20 something years old. Young, good apprentice, Uh, you know, and therein lies another issue that I want to share with you that your grounds, your equipment grounds and your system safety grounds need some kind of system of identification to where you can never confuse the two. Uh, I've seen a lot of the companies that I've been dealing with in the last 10, 12, 15 years doing the consulting work I've been doing. Basically, they'll have their system safety grounds you know a clear plastic or a green clear plastic or something like that and then they'll have their equipment grounds a different color maybe yellow like a welding cable or something and uh that's fine you know that's that's fine that's uh uh and in that way or either put a tag on it do something on it to where you can never make that you know that basically that mistake that can be harmful and even deadly to you so you know, when we go back to the amount of induced voltages out there, it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot. Like I said, that was a 115 kV line parallel to 150. So think about that for just a few minutes. There was no spark. There was no arc when, when they put them on or took them off, but yet there was still enough voltage there for it to be harmful to it. So, you know, <clears throat> The word static is really interesting. Static is a, a word that's been around a long, long time, and to kind of kind of use the terms that a friend of mine at, at, at one of my sister companies at Southern Company used, static is what you have when you drag your feet on the carpet or slide your butt across the seat on cold weather, and you t- touch a metal object. What you've done is you've generated a positive charge, and then you discharge it as soon as you touch something of a different potential. Well. You can't get that static charge back unless you slide across that seat or or drag your feet on the carpet again. It's real simple. So, but induced voltages, you know, if you grounded it, and, and I use a video that was made at Southern Company a long time ago, that on a 230 line parallel to a 230 line. If you ground it and the voltage, I had a voltmeter on it, and the voltage collapses to zero almost zero never gets to zero but you know on, on a digital voltmeter anyway well um, and then you take that bolt take that ground back off and unground the de-energized line parallel to the other 230. it was 3900 volts somewhere you know on that de-energized line and when they put the ground on that phase conductor it that voltage completely collapsed to nothing. But as soon as you take that clamp back off, that voltage comes comes right back to 3,900 volts in a matter of one to two seconds. So it's not a matter of static charging at all, it's that capacitive coupling, that magnetic field that completely surrounds the de-energized part is where that voltage is coming from. That was always a mystery to us a long time ago. We, you know, of course we never were given the science and the physics behind the reason why grounds work. Now, this brings us to system grounding again. And of course, bracket grounding is one thing and bracket grounding or single point grounding, either one will work. Uh, I don't know from the people that I deal with today and even my old company that I worked for, my former company that I worked for for 40 years, they still bracket ground. And, but they keep their grounds close enough to them to where it reduces the chance of circulating current through a ground loop. And that's the danger of bracket grounding. Now, single-point grounding, a lot of people say, well, that can't work. What if, it, what if I got the ground on the opposite side of my work area and the voltage comes from the line side, the voltage comes through my work area to it? Well, now then you're experiencing what Dr. Kershoff, the Russian physicist decided and discovered years ago. And that's current division. The, you know, fault current is going to take the path of least resistance. I always ask that question too, you know, just kind of play word games with people. And I say, well, electricity takes the path of, and everybody, I say most everybody, I do have some uh, new, Uh, linemen and new apprentices that's really done their homework, they'll say any path. And I say, well, that's exactly correct. But what will determine the amount of current flow on that path? And that's the impedance and resistance in the path. Okay. So think about that for a couple of minutes. If I'm a thousand ohm resistor in an electrical circuit, because that's what the human body is around a thousand ohms. Okay. Now then I put a system safety ground parallel to my work area, whether it's single point grounding or bracket grounding, it doesn't matter. It does matter, but let's just look at the ground itself. You know, a a two-aught ground is 0.08 ohms resistance per foot, okay, in a two-aught copper ground, system safety ground. Most system safety grounds, unless you're working transmission 500, 230, 345, it's gonna be about a 10-foot ground. So just to simplify things, let's just put it to put it put the numbers okay if i've got 0.08 per foot 10 foot is a 0.8 it's eight tenths of an ohm now that's just the cable i got to put a ferrule on each end i got to put the ferrule in a clamp and torque it down on each end i've got a fault rated clamp that i must apply to the conductors and to the ground the bar or whatever i'm grounding it to okay and so every mechanical connection you make on a system safety ground, you increase a little bit of resistance. Okay. The key to this whole thing is if I, that's parallel to me, it never can be more than a thousand ohms of resistance because if it does, where's the current going to go? According to Dr. Kershaw, it's going to me. So, but if you really get down to it, a 10 foot ground, you know, with, with eight tenths of an ohm in a 10 foot cable, and then we probably put two or three mechanical. If you, if you do it right. Okay. If you squeeze that ferrule on correctly and it's a wide die and it's a solid die and not crimped, the uh, leaving gaps in it, you can, you can have, you can have continuity, but you may not, may not have ampacity of that rated gram because somewhere in a two out ground, it's about 28,000 ohms. I mean, 28,000 amps for about 15 cycles, if I remember correctly so but when you add resistance to it you reduce that all right so you don't you want to make sure it's done correctly you want to make sure the conductors are clean okay you want to make sure that when you put that clamp on there it's tight you don't want to over tighten it but you don't want to leave it, leave, leave it loose either so but if you look at the entire amount of resistance and so you build into a ground and it's done correctly that ground should never have more than about six or eight ohms of resistance in it so here I got a eight ohm path, and I got a thousand ohm path. Where is the, where's the fault current going to go? According to Doctor Kershaw, it's going to the eight eight ohm resistant path. Now, will it? Will the voltage rise on me if I'm in that work zone? Yes, and that here lies the thing that Mister Jim Vaughn and I both agree on, and we talk about it all the time. You know, grounds rarely save people. Grounds trip systems, and that's what if you look at the ieee and you look at the osha requirement that's what they're supposed to do but what saves us is a bonding strap of some kind okay between what i'm touching and where i'm standing and it doesn't matter i I read an article the other day in a a social media post and it says well if i ground this way what does this mean well if you're in a bucket you ground this way if you're in a pole on a pole you ground that way don't really think it matters there, Bob. Uh, If you're standing in a bucket, touching a pole with one hand and a conductor with another, I don't care where you're at, you're still in series with two different potentials. If the pole and the conductor is, is bonded, now then you're the bird on the wire. And that's what we try to get to is the bird on the wire. In other words, if I'm at the same potential, whether it comes hot or whether it's not, it doesn't really matter. Those of you who has been through an OSHA T and D 10 hour course, there's an example in there where a line was made a 115 KV line was made hot with 7,200 volts. And it was literally a guy standing on a pole, putting dampers on, but they made a mistake. But the bottom line was it was all the conditions were perfect that he actually did barehand work on 7,200 volts with a pair of leather gloves on, didn't hurt it. And it's because of, Equipotential. So when you say equipotential, you mean all points in the work area as equal to the other. So if it's hot, or if it's not, or if it's induced voltages, or if there's any any presence of any induced voltages or capacitive coupling, all of it's going to be at the same potential. If you got if the potentials are same in same in all the work area, they cannot be current flow. If they cannot be current flow. It cannot be harmful. What does the standard actually say? You know, ground shall be placed in such locations and arranged in such a manner that it will protect employees from hazardous differences of electrical potential. That one phrase has been in that paragraph in three. Look it up in two, two sixty nine in three. Look it up. And it says the same thing now as it did in 1994 when they first put it in there. Nothing's changed. It's it's exactly the same. Now, uh, there's a lot of other things in paragraph N that really causes a lot of heartburn. And of course, we don't have time today to go into them, but it, it deals with the employer making the decision to ground or not to ground. N2, when you go in there and read N2, you'll see the If the employer decides not to ground, it's got to meet certain protocols. You got to de-energize it, according to paragraph M. You got to check for the presence or absence of voltage. It's got to be grounded and then it's got to be isolated from all known sources of electrical energy with no chance of capacitive coupling induced voltages. And then it can be, it's, an, it's either an equipotential or it's a total isolation. So, Maybe we'll talk about that one on another date, okay? So let me see if I can finish this up right here. I hope I hadn't given you too, too much information. <laughs> because sometimes I get carried away and I forget, uh, you know, it's hard to absorb this much at one little setting of 20 or 30 minutes. You know, just remember this as we as I close today. OSHA is the watts and the why's. Of all the performance-based standards. Basically, it is not the how-to-do things. The how-to do things is determined by consensus standards, which are voluntary standards, sometimes referred to by OSHA, you know, in the in the performance-based standards. But the how-tos, the IEEEs, the ASTMs, the ANSIs, all NESC. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of things in the national electrical safety code. And for the first time in the history of the, the consensus codes and OSHA, they all say about the same thing right now. When you look in, in, uh, in section four of the national electrical safety code and it, you get into grounding, it says just almost the same thing as the OSHA standard does, but it goes into detail and tells you why you need to do it and so therefore therein lies the why behind the what so hopefully we've we've kind of cleared some things up either i made you ask questions or maybe answer questions i'm not sure right now but just remember this uh it's never never dead it can be de-energized it can be it can be isolated and it can be grounded but even then if there's a chance of accidental uh energization of any kind or severe or high induced voltages and there's all and the grounds are too far apart if you're bracket grounding you can always have a difference potential somewhere in between those grounds so always think about what you're doing that's all i want you to do is think and and, and try to understand and if you don't understand ask questions that's the only way you're going to ever know if you ground it accordingly with properly sized grounds to the maximum available fault current that if it comes hot accidentally, it'll hold the voltage and fault current for at least 15 cycles, one quarter of a second. And you handle it that way appropriately and ground it that way appropriately. You'll be safe. Uh, It's safer than driving to the job (laughs) because you have no control over the people on the road, but you have control over that job. As long as you understand completely what to do and how to be safe. Well, that's all for today. And I think that's about 25 minutes. I I, I lost track of time, to be honest with you. And I, I know I've enjoyed the time with you, and I hope that you got something out of this. And if I can ever help you, you have my contact information, my email and phone number. Feel free to call anytime. We'll be glad to help in any way we can. So thank you very much. God bless. See you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, go to incident-prevention.com podcasts to get more or search Incident Prevention wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next time, stay safe.